Welcome to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now. I just want to start really quick by saying thank you to all of you for the encouraging feedback that you have sent my way for the last couple episodes of All Things. Thank you especially for leaving a rating or a review at iTunes. That really does help get the word out. And I'm always open to interaction. If you go to jenoshman.com, you can email me, you can send me ideas, you can send me any feedback that you have. I welcome it. I love hearing from you all. Well, tomorrow is July 4th. Many of you have the day off from work or you're working from home. And um, tomorrow is going to be our Independence Day, which will be different because of COVID. But I do want to say happy Independence Day to my American friends who live both near and far. It's hard to believe that 2020 is halfway over. I feel like we've lived several years in the last six months. It's been an overwhelming year. So really this halfway point, I feel like with Independence Day being tomorrow, it's a good time for us as Americans to reflect on our history, reflect on our present, and really consider the hopes that we have for our future for the remainder of 2020 and even in looking at the years ahead. So with that in mind, this morning I took time to look back at the Declaration of Independence. I actually pulled it up online and read through the whole thing. This was the unanimous declaration by all 13 colonies 244 years ago. It was ratified by the Second Continental Congress and signed on July 4th, 1776. And it was our declaration that we are indeed free from British rule. We birthed a new nation back then. We became an autonomous nation declaring independence from England. So I want to read, some of these words are going to be very familiar to you, but I want to read the first couple sentences of the preamble of our declaration of independence in recognition of July 4th being tomorrow. Listen to these words with me. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundations on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Now it goes on. Those are just the first few sentences of the preamble, which I love. I just love reading them again. This document, this preamble is genius. Really, it is so brilliant. The ideas that are found within it are solid. It's based on immovable and unshakable truths. I mean, we see it pointing to a creator. All men are created equal. We have a creator who endowed to us certain rights, things that are unalienable. Our value comes from a creator. He is the one who gives us rights and those rights cannot be inflicted upon. They include life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the power for government comes from the people. It's instituted by the people. The people give the government the power that the government has. And whenever the people think that the government is becoming destructive, it's the right of the people, even the responsibility of the people to seek um, abolition of that government or to seek some sort of altering of the government is what the preamble says, is that when the government becomes destructive, it's the right of the people to alter or abolish it that we should be seeking our safety and our happiness. So I just, I I love the Declaration of Independence. I think it's a robust document. These are solid truths. And tomorrow, July 4th, we can celebrate that. We can celebrate the brilliance of our founding fathers. We can rejoice in the truths. We can rejoice in this foundational framework of our nation. 
But, and I'm sure you probably already saw this coming, I don't want us to stop just at celebrating. I certainly want to like acknowledge the power and the pervasiveness of these ideas. These are 244-year-old ideas, but they're still so pertinent to us. Maybe they're even more important to us here in 2020. Maybe these ideas are even more valuable. Maybe they, maybe they have gained in value and potency over the last couple centuries. I, my hope is that we can reflect on the Declaration of Independence, celebrate it, but also invoke the truths, invoke the words of that document for what we're facing here in 2020. It's really the right, even the responsibility of the people, we the people of the United States, to change the government, to change the form of the government when and if it becomes destructive, as this document says. So what I want to do today on all things is just highlight three news stories from this past week. I want to point out areas in... um, in the news, these headlines, where it feels like the government has indeed become destructive, where it would be my opinion that the government needs to be altered in these three specific areas. These are areas where life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness has been forsaken. It's been They've been withheld or even intentionally removed from various populations. So my admonishment for you and me on this July 3rd, as I'm recording and as I witness July 4th tomorrow, is that we remain informed and we remain vigilant, that we be aware of how our government is behaving and that we invoke our rights and responsibilities well as American citizens to ensure that the government is indeed blessing the nation with life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So the first headline that I want to go over is from this past week when the United States Supreme Court cited against the state of Louisiana on Monday. The court struck down a regulation in Louisiana that required abortion providers to have admitting privileges at a local hospital. So Louisiana had created a law that said abortionists have to have admitting privileges in local hospitals, but they had not yet enforced the law. Um, There's three abortion clinics in the state, and that's what Louisiana wanted to see from them. So what that would mean is if something went wrong during an abortion, if something happened and a woman was in peril and she needed the help of an emergency room or she needed more than what was available at the abortion clinic, that doctor, the abortion doctor, him or herself would be able to then admit that patient into the hospital. That doctor would go with her quite literally or at least digitally by transferring charts, transferring medical history, as well as the knowledge of what trans inspired there at the abortion clinic. That doctor would sort of be able to give this patient a head start by overseeing what happened to her when she arrived at the hospital. What was the cause for the hospitalization? He would be able to oversee her care. So for example, doctors at eye clinics, like when I got LASIK eye surgery, those doctors had admitting privileges. In fact, it's required by law that um, eye clinic doctors would have admitting privileges at local hospitals. So Louisiana said, you know what, let's do the same for women who are seeking abortions. As it is now for abortion clinics, and because Louis, um, the Supreme Court struck this down in Louisiana, doctors do not have to have admitting privileges. So if something goes wrong and um, a patient, uh, an abortion patient needs needs to um, have immediate medical intervention, her doctor cannot seek her care at a local hospital. She would have to, um, first, the abortionist would have to admit that something is wrong, that something has gone wrong and she needs emergency care. Then this woman would have to leave the abortion clinic herself. She would somehow have to get herself off the table and to the hospital or call an ambulance herself. And she would have to pursue care and advocate for herself at the hospital with new doctors who don't know what happened, what transpired back at the abortion clinic. So rather than having this bridge 
of the abortion doctor um, go escorting her to the hospital. She's now in charge of her own care, and the abortion doctor is is able to stay back at the abortion clinic and not be involved in the ongoing care of this woman in any way. So the Supreme Court said that these admitting privileges put undue burden on abortionists and that it would prevent women from getting the care that they need. I'm not as concerned with this specific ruling as I am with the overall drive in this nation on behalf of the abortion industry, on behalf of the Supreme Court, on the behalf of our whole society to make abortion as widely available and as acceptable as possible, even to the point of not pursuing best practices or pursuing the highest accreditation or certification or just going to the utmost to make sure that doctors who are performing abortions exercise every available precaution for the women that they are quote unquote caring for. That's my concern is the, is what feels like a lust for abortion in our nation, just a hunger, an insatiable appetite that abortion be available over and above real care for women. This is especially concerning to me as I see medical abortions just skyrocketing. This is the availability of abortion by taking a pill. Um, We're seeing this rise all across the nation, especially in California, where it's now being mandated that pills causing abortion be available on college campuses. So my concern is that women are not getting the real care that they need and that there is this insatiable appetite in our nation to have no restrictions on the murder of unborn children. Kind of along these same lines, there was this tangential headline from last week where the CEO of Planned Parenthood of Greater New York resigned after working for the abortion chain for six years as a result of allegations of her racist and abusive behavior. 300 current and former Planned Parenthood employees signed a letter accusing this woman, McQuaid, um, and the abortion chain, Planned Parenthood, of systemic racism, abusive behavior, and financial malfeasance. The employees decided to go public after Planned Parenthood did nothing to address the problems. They all signed a letter that cites a culture of fear and intimidation. They noted years of complaints from staff about issues of racism, pay inequity, and lack of upward mobility for black staff. Dozens of staff members witnessed McQuaid yelling, berating, slamming her fists, verbally abusive, humiliating, and bullying employees. All is not well at Planned Parenthood. All is not well in the abortion industry. It's an industry that not only kills babies, but really kills the souls of those who work there. So back to the Declaration of Independence, clearly the unborn, the rights of unborn born Americans to seek life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are not protected by our government. In fact, our government is literally upholding the ability of these lives to be destroyed. This is an area all Americans should be indignant about. As we celebrate the July 4th, we must at the same time be angry and active in our pursuit of protecting the unborn, the littlest, the weakest, the quietest of the American citizens. So secondly, second headline I want to go to. Back in March of this year, I recorded episode 40 of all things, COVID was ramping up and that episode happened to focus on what are we going to do if we don't have enough ventilators? There was grave concern at the time on behalf, especially of the the disabled population, those who love them, those who care for them, that care, healthcare might be withheld from disabled persons for a number of reasons, maybe not enough ventilators, or maybe doctors would deem that their quality of life isn't sufficient enough to save those lives. There would be that question of like, is it even worth it to save this person? Will this person survive? Well, the Texan, a news outlet from Austin, Texas, reports this. This is very disturbing. Michael Hickson, husband to Melissa and father of five, died at the age of 46 on Thursday, June 11th at St. David's South Austin Medical Center after the hospital withheld treatment from him, including hydration and nutrition for six days. So in other words, Michael Hickson, father of five, husband of one, 
he died from starvation and um, dehydration after six days of those of food and water being withheld from him. His wife, I'm quoting here, was not notified of his death until the next morning after his remains had already been transported to a funeral home without her permission. Mr. Hickson became a quadriplegic in 2017 after a sudden cardiac arrest incident while driving. So here we have an African-American man who is disabled due to a terrible accident that happened three years ago. He's a husband, he's a father, and though he does require full-time care in a nursing facility, he was as active as he could be in his family. He's still able to communicate with his wife and his kids. He would share memories with them. They were making new memories, even blowing a kiss to his wife and asking for prayer the last time he communicated with her over FaceTime last month. Well, here's some background to his death. On June 2nd, he was taken from his nursing home to the hospital. June 3rd, he was admitted admitted to the ICU. June 5th, doctor said he's not doing well. His wife should come to the hospital to see him. She couldn't go see him in person in the ICU, but they did communicate over FaceTime. On June 6th, he was moved out of the ICU. So he goes in on June 2nd. On June 6th, four days later, he's moved out of the ICU. She is told by nurses that he's stable and breathing on his own, but hospice would be taking over his care. A hospital nurse notified his wife that he would not be receiving nutrition or hydration and that he would not be resuscitated. So there's this very disturbing conversation recorded between Miss Hickson and the attending physician, wherein the doctor says he didn't think her husband had much quality of life and against her wishes, he would not be nourished, hydrated, or receive treatment for the pneumonia he had developed. Here's exactly what the doctor said, and I am quoting here. So as of right now, his quality of life, he doesn't have much of one. Then the wife says, what do you mean? Because he's paralyzed with a brain injury, he doesn't have quality of life? Correct, the doctor replied. One week after that conversation, hospice called his wife to tell her that her husband had died the night before, and he asked if she'd like the name of the funeral home where his body had been taken. So all the while this whole situation is happening with Michael Hickson and his COVID infection, there's a guardianship issue going on in the background. Hickson, Michael Hickson had a court-appointed guardian who had been granted by the court decision-making authority in place of his spouse because he had a sister who had also filed for guardianship and the case was being reviewed in probate court. So he has this temporary guardian. It's the Family Elder Care, a nonprofit in Texas. They agreed to the doctor's decisions to withhold treatment, nutrition, and hydration from Mr. Hickson during his stay in the hospital. And there is a law on the books. There's been a law on the books in Texas since 2015, which prevents doctors from withholding artificially administered hydration and nutrition, except if the patient has an advanced directive indicating to do so. So in other words, under by law, the Texas hospital was required to offer him hydration and nutrition unless his family said otherwise, or unless he had an advanced directive indicating otherwise, which he did not. So I have to agree with a woman named Kimberlyn Schwartz. She's with the Texas Right to Life when she says, quality of life is a value judgment and is a decision that should be left to the family. This horrible quality of life ethic is ingrained in many of our large medical institutions and patients and families need to be vigilant. So this story, this headline highlights how disabled Americans are largely prevented from seeking what our Declaration of Independence so carefully protects, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I've discussed several times before on all things the issue of assisted suicide. 
And precisely because the Declaration of Independence says we've got to we've got to be seeking life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, I'm alarmed that disabled Americans are prevented from seeking their own lives, from having their own lives protected. Again, all men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. It is wrong to snuff out life before its natural end. Each life, every single disabled life has value endowed by his or her creator. It's not okay for anyone to take it away. Miss Hickson wonders if some of her husband's mistreatment might be because of outstanding bills due to his nursing home in the sum of $90,000. Perhaps his case didn't receive the care it deserves because of their lack of wealth. I don't know. Maybe it was the color of his skin. They are African-American. And maybe it was his disability. Whether it's because of his socioeconomic level, his disability, or his ethnicity, we don't know exactly why the hospital withheld care. Clearly, the doctor didn't think that his life was worth preserving. And that is evil. The combination of all three of these things, socioeconomics, disability, ethnicity, left Mr. Hickson so vulnerable. He was indeed mistreated by a hospital that should have, should have instead protected him. Okay, last headline from the past week that I want to address as we look towards July 4th tomorrow is the death of Elijah McLean back in August of 2019. This news story has resurfaced in the news, certainly here in Colorado and all across the nation because of headlines, for example, of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. And as we are just reawakened again, as we have been so many times over the past several years of the death of black Americans at the hands of police, Elijah McLean's story has come to light once again. Well, here's what happened to Elijah. He went out to a convenience store in Aurora, Colorado around 10 p.m. last August. 911 was called because of somebody seeing Elijah and saying that he was behaving suspiciously. Now, I listened to the 911 call and I heard the operator ask the caller, "Did had any crime been committed? Did Elijah have or who, you know, whoever this person was reporting have a weapon? Was there anything anyone in danger, any imminent danger?" And the caller repeatedly says, "No. No crime, no weapon, no danger, just suspicious behavior." So, three Aurora police officers show up they find Elijah as he's walking home from the convenience store. They pull over and they approach him. Well, Elijah in August before COVID, he was wearing a ski mask and he had earbuds in his ears. We know now because of his family that Elijah was anemic. And so he would, he would be cold. So here in Colorado in the high desert, when the sun goes down, it is chilly. So he was wearing a ski mask out of the house at night because he was chilly and he had earbuds in. So obviously he could not hear these officers approaching and wearing a ski mask in August, while strange, is not a crime. So as the three police officers approach Elijah, he resists. He is all of five feet, six inches tall and 140 pounds. But nonetheless, he does not like the officers being in his personal space. He's clearly agitated by the officers approaching him and he is resisting their advances towards him. Three Aurora police officers retain him. They actually end up throwing him on the ground. Uh, applying a carotid hold, a choke hold twice. One time it causes Elijah to pass out and they handcuff him. Interestingly, all three police officers' body cameras fell off. So all three body cams were on the ground. One of the officers is heard in the um, recording shouting that McLean had reached for his gun, but body camera footage doesn't definitively show whether Elijah had done that or not. Here's what we do know from the video, from the audio taken from the body cameras. Here are Elijah McLean's last words, and I'm going to read them all. Of course, they took place over several minutes, but here is what Elijah said. I can't breathe. I have my ID right here. My name is Elijah McLean. That's my house. 
I was just going home. I'm an introvert. I'm just different. That's all. I'm so sorry. I have no gun. I don't do that stuff. I don't do anything. I don't do any fighting. Why are you attacking me? I don't even kill flies. I don't eat meat, but I don't judge people. I don't judge people who do eat meat. Forgive me. All I was trying to do was become better. I will do it. I will do anything. Sacrifice my identity. I'll do it. You are all phenomenal. You are beautiful and I love you. Try to forgive me. I'm a mood Gemini. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Ow, that really hurt. You are all very strong. Teamwork makes the dream work. Oh, I'm sorry. I wasn't trying to do that. I just can't breathe correctly. So those are all the things Elijah said as police had him in various chokeholds and handcuffed on the ground. They called the Aurora Fire Department and medics arrived. The police are heard on camera telling the medics about Elijah's crazy strength, claiming that he must be on something, that he's just very, very strong. Mind you, Elijah was 5'6 and 140 pounds. Three police officers had tackled him to the ground and put him in handcuffs, and yet... The three police officers insist that he's very strong. The medics gave him a ketamine shot. He was taken by ambulance to a hospital. He endured cardiac arrest en route to the hospital, and he was brain dead three days later. What we know now after Elijah has passed away is that he was a massage therapist. He played his violin for animals in the local animal shelter, and he was a very gentle soul. As his family has said over and over to anyone who listened, he was a gentle soul, and he was different. At the time, the th- these three police officers were placed on administrative leave, but they were reinstated. At the time, the autopsy was inconclusive, and at the time, the district attorney did not press charges. Well, last week, Governor Jared Polis of Colorado signed an executive order appointing the state's attorney general to re-examine the case and to file charges if the facts support prosecution. Also, the FBI and the U.S. Department of Justice have been reviewing the circumstances surrounding McLean's death since last year, and they are determining whether a federal civil rights investigation is warranted. So all of another thing that a news story that just came back to um, came to light this past week is that back in October, three police officers from the Aurora Police Department posed at the site where Elijah was restrained and given the ketamine shot and taken to the hospital. Three police officers not involved in his arrest posed um, and and reenacted a chokehold, the carotid hold, for um, for a picture, and then sent that picture to other police officers to just make light of it, to laugh about it. Um, yesterday, one resigned, and um, there is ongoing action regarding that particular photo. But here, we this incident with Elijah McLean happened just minutes from my house. We're talking like 20 minutes from where I live right now. This is just an unnecessary and unjust murder of an innocent young man at the hands of our police officers, those who are called to protect and to serve, those whose mission it is to protect and to serve the community. Instead, they exploited their power and snuffed out the life of a young African-American man. Various articles and outlets have said that Elijah McLean had autism. His family has not said that yet, just that he was different. And we can hear that. If you listen to the audio recording of his last words, you can tell it's so obvious that he is just different, but kind. I mean, how many times does he say, I'm sorry? Just a kind young man. Those words and that recording make it obvious what was going on there. These weren't the cries of an obstinate, rebellious, violent criminal. These were the words of a young man who was sensitive to touch and sensitive to sound, and he was very afraid. 
I cannot believe that the police were actually scared. You can't tell me that a five foot six, 140 pound young man scared three police officers who managed to retrain restrain him on the ground. What is it about the training that the Aurora Police Department receives? What is missing from their toolbox that caused them to escalate the situation rather than to serve and protect Elijah McLean, who should be alive right now, playing his violin in an animal shelter? Again, in the words of the Declaration of Independence, our government has its power because it's instituted by the consent of the people. The people give the power to the government. In my view, in this story, the story of George Floyd, the story of Breonna Taylor, we're seeing evidence of nationwide, a nationwide abuse of power. I'm going to link in the show notes an article that appeared last week at The Public Discourse. The Public Discourse is a very conservative journal and website. And this particular article cites eight years of data provided by the Fatal Encounters database. And here's what that article says. Police officers kill about 1,700 Americans every year, which is one out of every 12 violent deaths of Americans between 2010 and 2018. So just let that sink in. One out of 12 violent deaths in America happens at the hands of police officers. And that includes counting all the military deaths that happen in war zones overseas. The report says, and I quote, police violence in America is extraordinary in its intensity. It is disproportionate to the actual threats facing police officers, and it has risen significantly in recent years without apparent justification. Police killings have risen despite no increase in social or criminal violence generally. Police killings have risen despite a decline in actual killings of police officers and, as related data show, a decline in assaults of police officers too. What we've seen is a rise in police killings across the board, untethered from actual threats to society, with the victims often being unarmed innocents. About 15 to 25% of police killings are of unarmed people. <clears throat> America, this has got to change. How are we okay with one in 12 violent deaths in America being at the hands of police? And how are we okay with 15 to 25% of those being the death of an unarmed person? It's, this is exactly what happened with Elijah McLean, an unarmed, nonviolent person who had not committed a crime, who was not an imminent threat ended up dying at the hands of police. Something is seriously wrong. Now, let me be clear. You do not hear me saying defund the police. You do not hear me saying abolish the police. I am absolutely in favor of responsible, ethical, community-based policing, but I am also in favor of reform, just like our founding fathers were. I am in favor of reform. I'm speaking out today in the spirit of our founding fathers and in the spirit of our founding documents. The unborn, the disabled, African Americans are just three marginalized communities today that do not experience the freedoms championed in our Declaration of Independence. And it's just about the most American thing I can do. This is just about the most American thing I could do on the eve of July 4th is say there are marginalized communities who are not experiencing the freedoms that our country was founded on. These marginalized populations have worth endowed to them by their creator. The governing laws and practices that prevent them from enjoying life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness have become destructive. Just like the preamble says, practices within the government have become destructive. It's in the very spirit of our nation's birth that I want to go on record and spend my voice and spend my energy saying, we the people, we who grant power to our government must exert ourselves in altering this government. In solidarity with our countrymen, our brothers and sisters, the unborn, 
It is our responsibility to seek out their safety, to seek out their happiness, just as the Declaration of Independence says. Not only is it our responsibility as Americans, but also as Christians. You and I who follow Christ, we know better than anyone the worth of these humans endowed by their creator, by our creator. We know better than anyone that their rights are unalienable because of who our God is. He's the one that gave them those rights. And therefore, we should be indignant when those rights are taken away. We know they are made in God's image. We know he knit them together, that he determined when and where they would live, that he knew what the color of their skin would be, what their abilities or disabilities would be. We know he created each of these people on purpose and for a purpose. You and I who follow Christ, we have the Holy Spirit in us and we can and should identify and call out injustice when we see it. It's in fact our biblical mandate. The words of Isaiah chapter one, verses 16 and 17, Isaiah calls on the people of God and says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. So friends, I want to close by saying, Indeed. Happy July 4th. Happy Independence Day. Go back, go find, I'm going to link actually the Declaration of Independence in my show notes. Go read it. It's really valuable. It's really encouraging to just sit in the genius and the brilliance of our founding fathers. Those ideas, those truths are strong. They are robust and they are pervasive. They mean just as much now, if not more, 244 years later as they did back in 1776. But the reality is just like back then, right now, there are marginalized communities who are not enjoying the protections and the provisions of our founding documents. And that should be troubling to every American. There's so many good things about our nation, so many reasons I am so glad to be an American citizen, so many reasons I am thankful for what God has done in and through this country. But friends, because we love our country, we must not just celebrate it. We must work tirelessly so that every person who lives inside these borders might be protected, might be able to have life, might be able to have liberty, and might be able to pursue happiness. I hope you guys have a great July 4th weekend. Thank you for listening to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now.